Like I said, there's tons and tons and tons and tons of real people in this film. But we start, very importantly, with Matthew Reese, uh, who, of course, in a couple of episodes' time, will be the focus. Again, Tom, in his later years, really taking a backseat and, you know, giving stuff over. Not in Sully. In Sully, he's, like, the main... He's the guy. But, it, it, you know, this has been a decade of him working with younger people and letting them take the lead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Two-handers, in, yeah, in and we largely, see, we uh, see true in life this stories, most of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is funny because apparently after this he was like, "I'm done with them," and then that it, somebody <clears> said, "Do you want to be Mr. Rogers?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure, <laughs> 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 might as well." How about in Elvis? Yeah, okay, sure, yeah. all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, again, yeah, that breaks it again. Yeah, he's like, "How?" I mean, I think on that one, Baz Luhrmann was like, "Look, you're stuck in Australia. You've got COVID. You may as well be in the film." Um, it's the other way around. He got COVID because he yeah, was yeah. doing the film. Um, but yeah, so we're in 1966. The Vietnam War is going on, which by all accounts, I remember as being an extremely good and victorious war for the Americans. They did really well. Didn't they win? I can't, I'm not a history buff, so I don't know these things. But- I always, my, my, I gotta say, this is where movies are important, but my first inclination I always remember of Vietnam not going great is uh, in A Fish Called Wanda when John Cleese says, what about the war in Vietnam and Kevin Klein was? It was a tie. <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch yeah. that again. Uh, Matthew Reese uh, is uh, somebody who's overlooking what's going on. He's from the State Department. He's there to see how the war is going. Obviously, it's going great, so he's going to have no problems. Mm-hmm. We see everybody getting all camouflaged up, and then we see a very short fight um you know where obviously the americans don't do very well because the next that, day there's a lot of saving, body bags it's like saving private <laughs> brian it's a little, it, like just it was, a little that, was a, that was an interesting yeah. setup though because he comes in and he's got the long hair and the soldiers are like who's the who's the hippie or who's the long hair you know it's like we're setting yeah. it up where um he's like a, a a hippie reporter or something but he actually is part of the government i, I found that to be kind of an interesting uh, reveal yeah. when you find out oh he's not actually some hippie reporter that was uh, an interesting way to set no that up. yeah me too yeah he's daniel ellsberg a man who is still alive to this day and who mm-hmm. interestingly uh, at this time had just gone through a divorce he divorced the year before he went over to vietnam um and then in 1970 he remarried um and obviously you know he he's seen he's these days he's you know because of the leaking of the pentagon papers he's seen as you know, uh, you know somebody who is is you know revered for his his activism, um, and rightly so. Um, and yeah, so you know, it's it's the briefest of of war scenes in a film that will mostly be about people uh, typing and printing off bits of paper. Um, and yeah, we see these bodies, we see the injured, and obviously we crossfade. And uh, Dan is now on a plane, and he's you know obviously not happy with the situation. He speaks to Bob McNamara. Played by Bruce Greenwood, and Bruce is like, "How's it going?" And he's like, "Not good. <laughs> we keep sending more people over. They keep getting killed, and we're not making any progress at all. This war is falling apart, and we should stop it now." And Bruce and Bob McNamara is like, "I don't think we're going to do that. I think we're going to keep. We're going to escalate this even further and keep warring." And so, of course, you know, he's like, oh, okay, all right. Um, And then we see Bob McNamara get off a plane and, uh, you know, walk down the thing and walk in in front of some microphones where he says, I've got no prepared statements, but I'll take, you know, some questions. And, you know, the reporter's like, how's it going? And he's like, it's going great. We're America. We're winning. Everything's fine. Uh, Cut to (laughs) 1971 DC, um, where the most of this film is going to take place. 
um, and we find out there are two there are two storylines that are effectively a kind of the same storyline, which is uh, the Washington Post needs money. They ain't got no money no more. Um, and so they're going to have to go public. And there's a lot of talk about the public offering and the IPO and them getting onto Wall Street and what that will entail, who's going to invest in them, all that kind of stuff. And then we see uh, Meryl Streep as Catherine Graham meeting with, you know, editor Ben Bradley for lunch, uh, where he smokes exactly two cigarettes. And that's it for the rest of the film. He's not going to do any more smoking, which, quite frankly, um, I'm not a fan of people smoking. There was a later point in the film Um, where he had one and then he he quickly put it out as he ran out of the room. Yeah, much Mm. much like they made him do in uh, Saving Mr. Banks, where he literally only gets to put one single cigarette out (laughs) when playing the role of a man who basically died from lung cancer brought on by chain smoking. So, uh, yeah, but they're meeting for lunch and they're, you know, they're having a bit of chat and... Ben brings up the fact that, you know, there's a, a journalist called Neil Sheehan who works for the New York Times and he hasn't published a story in months. And so they're thinking of, you know, maybe reaching out to him, find out what's going on with him and maybe offering him a job. Something that I understand that, you know, they're not, they're, they, they shouldn't be doing. Uh, you know, you don't go around poaching other journalists. Uh, also, the New York Times is, uh, from what I understand, the paper of record. And at this time, the Washington Post is the newspaper for people who live in D.C. Yeah. So... You know, it would have been seen as a bit of a step down for Neil Sheehan to, um, you know, to go there. Um, understandably, a few years later, when the Washington Post broke a certain other story, it was a bit of a surprise because nobody really took the Washington Post seriously as a paper. Um, you know, I mean, this, you know, the, the story of this helped establish them, but they, you know, they didn't really break big stories nationwide. Yeah. They were seen more as a it is, paper. It is funny. I was I was born after Watergate. And so I have lived my entire life in a time when the Washington Post was capital T, capital W, capital P, the Washington Post. You know what I mean? Like, I've never not thought of that as like, oh, that's a revered journalistic institution. Um, And then, yeah, hearing about it, I was like, it's a local paper. I was like, I mean, it's D.C. That's good, (laughs) right? Aren't you guys big? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, because uh, it's also throughout this film, we'll we'll kind of get the idea that because... You know, Catherine Graham uh, has effectively inherited the paper um, and she spends a lot of time with like, you know, the ladies of D.C. Um, You know, she's not she's not like kind of taken seriously. There's a very big meeting with a whole bunch of people around a table where she basically barely says anything. Well, Um, and and that was a great setup. That was a great setup, too, because we see her prepping and she knows everything and she's got all the details and we feel like, oh, she's she's the one in charge. She knows what she's doing. And she goes in there and doesn't. isn't given a chance to speak when she finally is by Fritz, who seems to be her right hand man, she kind of freezes up. And, and uh, so it, it was interesting to see her play that way. And, and that's what I love about Meryl is that she can do something like this. And then the devil wears Prada and, and it's so effortless, you know, going from one to the other. And I can't remember, I, I'm glad you mentioned that too. I, I really liked that moment. And it was a, just like a nice deft bit of filmmaking that, in that moment, it's like Tracy Letts uh-huh. looks at her in a certain way, and it's like the question just ahead, and it's framed so it's just them, uh, Meryl and Tracy Letts, to just remind us, like, this yeah. is what you rehearsed for, you know, like, this is it, and yeah, to yeah. see her, like, choke, yeah, and then hold back, and then he has to do it, and you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, he basically he reads out her notes, exactly, and, it, and they're, yeah. they're her notes that she's, you know, and and when, and it's funny because, yeah, the, the that scene in particular is set up as like this big board meeting where everyone's coming in. And you think maybe she's going to be the head of the table. She's going to lead the meeting because, 
she's the owner of the paper, but she's just on the side with like a bunch of other guys in suits, and it's like she's immediately sidelined, literally yeah. on screen for us to yeah. see. Um, and that's yeah. So, but before that, you know, we get uh, you know an introduction to uh, the Washington Post newsroom, which everyone is familiar from. Uh, you know, all the president's yeah. men. <laughs> we all know what it looks like in that. Um, so that's what we're expecting. We don't quite, we don't quite get the same thing. It's obviously Steven Spielberg didn't just want to copy that newsroom. So it, it's sort of the same, but not, not really. It's not like, you know, in that there's a couple of tricks I know that the director used. In in that he did a few things where he made the newsroom look even bigger by having like like stuffs kind of done as like forced perspective, so that it looked like it went mm. on forever. Um, Steven Spielberg, not a guy to do that kind of thing. He's just like, look, it's a newsroom. Here's, pe- here's people typing at uh, typewriters. But he does have the it's, posts it's, in, in between, you know, the way the camera kind of moves past the posts that are between the desks and well, stuff. So he does a Washington post. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's yeah, LJ Al- it's Alan right, right, uh, Pakula. And, and, and something that, yeah. that they did in that film, which um, I was debating if it would have been too much for Spielberg to do, but they did a lot of those split diopter shots where you've got somebody in the in the foreground yeah. and then mm, the split yeah. uh, in, in perfect focus and then the background's in per- perfect focus revealing something else that's going on, like the TV on or something like that. Um, and those were just so well used in that film. It was uh, one of those things where I, was, I, I asked myself a few times, like, I wonder if I wonder how often they debated using something like a split diopter just to feel like it was tying it all the more into that film, or if they purposefully ended up avoiding it because of that. Yeah, there's a few uh, in all the presidents men. I don't want to make this an all the presidents men podcast, but uh, there are a few times where like Dustin Hoffman's in the background, like overhearing something, yeah. and because of the way the focus is done, it's like literally him just being like, and 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 like it just you know obviously Dustin Hoffman you know a, a good actor should go I mean I don't feel like I'm telling anyone anything wonder but like you know and 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 they they kind of mock that a little bit in Dick where uh, Bruce McCulloch keeps doing this and moving his head around and like really like really exaggerating it but like yeah the whole like the way it's the way it's done in uh, all the presidents men is to make the newsroom feel like you know there's lots of light and it's very truthful and you know that's that's where everything and then everything everywhere else is murky in that film. Um, so here we don't get quite the same newsroom, um, you know, but we do get, you know, a little meeting with Ben Bradley and uh, Ben Bagdikian. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird. Sounds like a stutter every yeah, time. Every, yeah. Um, and and of course, there's also Howard Simons is in there. And there's a, there's a like this. And they're all having a little meeting. And you're like, it's David Cross and Bob Odenkirk on film. So I'm going to. So go I'm going to complain. About one thing. <laughs> OK, go for it. It's just well, it's just a silly thing, but it's kind of weird that. Uh, it's back to the casting. So here we have, in my mind, Bob and right. David from Mr. Show. It's weird to have people who are, I feel, known as a duo. And I mean, maybe not at this point, because Bob Odenkirk had certainly, like, you know, he, his career had taken a different direction by this point. But, I mean, you're literally putting them on screen together. It's a little like, this is a big stretch, but it's like, we've got John Lennon and Paul McCartney, and they're going to stand next to each other and not do the thing you know them for, and then we're going to spend time with one of them apart. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, why did we put the duo, why did you put the duo together and then split the, I don't know, it seems just like a li- like, I guess the easy thing would have been like, you should have cast somebody other than David Cross. Because Bob Odenkirk, I get it, he's, his star is rising at this point, he can handle the drama, 
he's a good actor. They're both good actors, but it's like the weight of casting them both and showing them together at the beginning. My inclination is like, well, Bob and David will be together. For the rest of the <laughs> yeah, you expect you expect them to be like Redford and yeah, Hoffman, right. don't you? You expect you expect them to be a yeah. pair, but they're not a pair. They just happen to be in a couple of meetings at the same time <laughs> as each other. It's kind of a, it's kind of a weird. I, I'm getting hung up on the metatextual, I, but I mean element. But I, and I like, I would I guess I could feel that more if like Mr. Show had been done like even within the past decade from the time that they were in this. But I mean, that was like mid nineties when that was a show. And I just feel like them as a duo, it's not as much a thing by this point. So I, I I guess for me, you know, for me, it wasn't a thing. I mean, I enjoy Mr. Show, but I don't, I don't see it. It's not like, uh, what's another duo that you always see popping up? Like, yeah, it's, it's like, well, you know what it is? It's kind of like, if in uh, is it Toy Story four where Key and Peele yeah. play voices of two characters? It was like who are exactly. literally bound together. It's like yeah, they're a duo. So like, what's a duo? And and yeah, and you're right to mention this, Andy. It's like I'm coming at this from it very much. Yes, it was <laughs> in the mid '90s when I was like steeped in in like comedy nerd stuff. So I totally see them as that. That's who they will always yeah. be to me wherever they are. And so. So it's going it's yeah, to sure, trigger sure. my memory. Odenkirk is always uh, the, the nerdy guy at the concert in Wayne's World 2. That's who I always see Bob Odenkirk as. I'm like, that's literally the first yeah, time I ever saw him was when I went and saw Wayne's World 2 with a friend of mine. And like, whenever I see him that's now, probably right. yeah, I'm still like, oh, it's that guy who was in Wayne's World 2. Um, yeah. Oh, so that's I have, funny. so yeah, I, I was going to say my, my like uh, big Hollywood name drops here is uh, one of my good friends, uh, is or he was um bob odekirk's assistant um and so before better call saul and before all that stuff and he was directing little movies and he was directing shorts um they would always need extras and different little actors to show up so my friend jason would call him and said like do you want to work with bob odekirk on the same like, hell yeah hell yeah and so a couple times i got to chat with him and he was at the level, and I'm sure he probably still is. He was a very nice guy, uh, but he was at the level where, like, if a few of us said, it was like, we did improv in Chicago. He's like, oh, you know, like, he would run through the theaters with us, you know? It's like, oh, is wow. that still there? Is this still going on? What, you know, I did this, that, and the other. And it's like, this is like 2008-ish, so not a lifetime ago, but but very nice, and so I'm glad he's... I feel like the success he's had could not have happened to a nicer person, it seems like, because he seems like he's like a pretty decent person and works hard and kind of kind of just a normal looking dude. Well, and he certainly has proven himself uh, yeah, like, over the last few decades. I mean, yeah, starting yeah. with stuff like Mr. Show, but then, uh, you know, like you mentioned, directing those like kind of indie films that he was doing and then moving into stuff like Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul and roles like this and nobody where I feel like he's kind of come into his prime like i i feel like he's he's an actor who yes has has shown you know you stick with it long enough and you're gonna you know uh, and you're kind enough to people and and plus i mean talented uh you're gonna end up you know uh, being able to show what you can do and i yeah i I always love watching him yeah i will say he one thing they don't use in this movie i just remembered is he's one of the best shouters (laughs) (laughs) like like in, in especially in like mr show and in even uh you know like they did a cameo on news radio and it was just like him screaming like <laughs> shit. <you> know, just 
he's just a really great screamer and like oh yeah well, he's and got he, it all. And, and his comedy like i love that he even i mean there's this isn't what i would call a comedy but i was like at least he gets kind of what is is you know plays as a fairly funny line to the audience when he's in the airplane and he's got the boxes next to him and she's like oh something yes. important he's like oh no just government secrets that's like <laughs> yeah well and he's and i feel like that's kind of what he's played on with beginning with breaking bad because there's a lot of like comedy yeah DNA in that in that show. So when he showed up, it almost made sense because he can he can find those sort of like this is sort of cheeky, right? This is sort of funny, and like yeah, that exact moment in this movie is like yeah, that's that's a funny ish line that is a little funnier, but also a little serious yeah. because Bob Odenkirk and yeah, I, he, he's I like. Him. I think it's interesting that you know Breaking Bad starts in two thousand eight, and the, like the last th- well, you know the last kind of major thing that that he did before two thousand eight was Brother Solomon, which was a film that mm-hmm. had a budget of ten million and managed to lose nine million. So bad, and only got sixteen percent on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. Um, don't say that, Andy. I really enjoy watching Brother Solomon. There's a whole it's one of the there's worst. Like, there's, there's a couple of sequences oh. in that that are like really really dumb. I'll let you have, have like, it. You know. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, I've got it on. I've got it on DVD. Oh. But it's like for some, for some for some people that could that could be like like a huge failure and that could end their career. But for Bob Odenkirk, it's like the next like you know two years later he's on Breaking Bad yeah. and then here we are a decade after that and it's still going and it's you know you know when he had his heart attack like a year ago, you know literally everybody was like oh no not Bob Odenkirk like people love him so much and it was kind of crazy and to. Sort of what Andy was saying is like that persistency and that hard work has always kind of gone there. And he's also done things like, you know, he uh, sort of discovered Tim and Eric, uh, you know, the awesome show. Great. Which is almost like uh, it's like he contributed something that changed comedy in a way like there, that was a that started infecting so many different things is because he's sort of like open to people who want to work, you know, it was like, Oh yeah, they got ideas. Like I'll do that. And he's like, he's always kind of like been supportive in those ways. And it's, and I think that that has also paid off in his, in his later part of his career. Cause people, cause like you say, it was like, he built up goodwill. He's got a good resume. He's very talented. And I'm like, yeah, I like seeing him show up and stuff like that. So yeah, he, he can weather if he were less, less ambitious or less, liked then something like brother solomon would have stopped him yeah it certainly did for andy andy seems to hate that film for some reason. <laughs> it hasn't changed my love for bob odenkirk <laughs> no that's the thing i don't know how he weathered it well i i think it's interesting because obviously you know bob odenkirk's character is is essentially going to be uh both the woodward and bernstein of this. he's going to be doing like the heavy lifting for you know roughly 75 percent of the film like he like he is the journalistic side of it everybody else is having debates about ethics and the the meaning of the first amendment but he's the one who's actually out there uh you know with the shoe leather getting it done um but yeah so we have a discussion about you know obviously we've got to bring up nixon uh there is the nixon cox wedding uh, which I think is the one Nixon who didn't marry the Eisenhower because the other one married Dwight Eisenhower's son, I think, um, out of the two uh, Nixon daughters. And it's like, hey, look, just because your dad worked with him doesn't mean you have to go out with his son. Come on. I'm sure in Washington it's, there's yeah. a bunch of other eligible bachelors you could have gone See, out with. They did the same thing I'm complaining about with Spielberg. It's like, uh, who, who's got a son? <laughs> yeah. yeah, one of the president's son. Great, yeah. great. Yeah, that guy. Or Ike's, Ike's like, look, Dickie, I, you know, my, my son 
He's having a, he, he, you know, your daughter, you know, they just kind of put it together. But yeah, so this is the other one. This is, I think this is the Nixon who endorsed Obama later on, um, who they're talking about. And they're not able to get into the wedding. And uh, so Jesse Mueller playing Judith Martin, who's like, you know, the head of like the society pages. They're not able to get access to this wedding. And so they're figuring out how are they going to get some photos from this wedding? Maybe they'll ask one of the other newspapers. I wonder if that is foreshadowing and we'll come back later on. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that's that's kind of like a side story that's going on is basically Nixon hates the Washington Post, which is not a surprise well, it, because Nixon hates everybody. So and, but it's a it is a nice way to to set up the stakes as to why he hates the Washington Post. Yeah. You know, it's like, what's the and then to show the level that the Washington Post is at where it's like, we might lose the wedding yeah. coverage, you guys <laughs> you know, like. You're like, oh, my God. And you can see that in Hank's face and, and the other reporters who can like kind of tell it's like this is you know when i signed up to do this i didn't think we were gonna like talk about dresses and flowers and tuxedos and stuff i thought we were gonna like yeah old truth you know to the to the well that really comes across as again part of the, the kind of the the message that they're trying to kind of push at this particular point when it's coming out in 2017 of the relationship between the white house and the press and yeah. even little things like that, you know, if a president gets gets pissy with you because you're saying certain things and banning certain reporters from from being at these events, like I can see why the filmmakers wanted to start with something like that as kind of like there's this this petty thing is just the coverage of this wedding as the as a foundation for the president getting, uh, you yeah. know, saying things about the the paper and not wanting to include them and stuff like that. Yeah, it's an excellent choice, and I think obviously uh, this was, this also is around the time that Trump refused to go to the 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 correspondence dinner because um, he'd refuse like the you know yeah. and then and then basically the correspondence dinner stopped like they they stopped bothering to hire comedians as well because they didn't want to offend <laughs> the White House because people kept getting their, their their press passes taken off them um, because obviously you know Trump but the thing is it turned out that you you can't stop people from the White House press corps from coming into the White House because it's the White House press call that decides that, not the president. So, you know, but yeah, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, I can understand. I can understand why you know Steven Spielberg was like, let's really emphasize the role of the press yeah. and you know the relationship with the president. I should also say on a podcast I did talking about Stevie Wonder, there's like five songs Stevie Wonder did all about President Nixon, and literally every one of them could be applied to Trump because <laughs> they all have the exact same criticisms. You know, he's Mister Know It All. It's just it like it just fits perfectly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. We see that, you know, the New York Times, um, you know, are, are kind of, you know, uh, they, they're getting information about, um, the, you know, the, the, the war. And um, it, like it's going through reporter Neil Sheehan. Um, and so they dispatch this intern who is going to go all the way to New York and <laughs> he's going to like try and make contact. Um, and in the end, he like he ends up getting like in an elevator with a bunch of guys who were all wearing the same shirt and like trouser combination, <laughs> which I thought was like a really yeah. weird touch. But I was like, well, you know, it's like in, in New York, everybody's wearing like a uniform, but in Washington, people are a bit looser. Um, mm. But yeah, and, and this basically like kind of is the start of, you know, the main plot, which is. Uh, what these days are labeled as the Pentagon Papers, 
but what you know at the time nobody gives them that catchy name it's just you know this particular it's the story about this vietnam um there's like a it's like a the study a study yeah this right. is yeah they did a study about how the war was going um and later on bob mcnamara will, will claim it was for historians like in 50 years time like not for now um yeah, not for while the war is still going on. But yeah, so the New York Times, you know, it it basically breaks the story. And, uh, you know, because they're good newsmen, um, the, you know, the editorial staff go, to go like immediately go at like 5 a.m. to get the first edition. And then we have this kind of surreal shot of everybody in the, the WAPO offices standing with a copy of the New York Times all reading the same. Great. I liked it. Yeah. I, I, I want to say that, yeah, in reverse order, I there are a couple of things that we mentioned that i like i do like that shot of everybody reading the new york times in the washington post because it's like okay this is what we're dealing with yeah um also and i mean i've never visited either newspaper but it feels very deliberate to show that like the washington post is like one floor with this you know kind of dull ceiling and all these people at typewriters and when he goes to the new york times it looks like the bradbury building it's like a gorgeous opulent staircase with you know like all this stuff and be like oh okay that's different and there's like a little tiny thing that i like that when uh hanks sends the intern and he gives him the money i think he tells him it's like get a receipt yeah yeah just like just i don't know there's a little <laughs> stuff like that feels feels very realistic to me because yeah this he's this guy's boss he's an intern he's not getting paid for anything it's like but, you know we'll cover this for you so you know get a receipt yeah and i just it all like ties up to this weird like realistic but also impressionistic isn't the right phrase but that that scene of yeah. everybody reading the new york times you know like i also i also like that good. he gave like the it. intern yeah. wasn't it just 40 bucks and that was enough to get all of that done yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah. and he's like well he's like he's like fr- he's like fly first class if you need to and it's like <laughs> yeah like the price is kind of crazy uh we get one of these weird little kind of uh i don't know what to call them but like outside of the white house shots where we hear richard nixon talking to people um about what's happening oh sure through the window yeah there's like we we never we never have nixon as a character in this film apart from obviously everyone's talking about it because they're in dc but also we it's only over the telephone or just through this window that we we hear nixon talking to other people and in this case talking to a kissinger impersonator yeah who and does it's a like, nixon and i thought and i assumed it was supposed to yeah, yeah and i assumed it was supposed to also that was my impression too is that the the whole design yeah. of that yeah. was you know all of this is actually getting recorded in fact i was curious for a while i'm like i wonder if they're actually pulling from actual recordings i don't think they were but um, yeah, but I, th- no. I thought that was an in- actually an interesting um, way to kind of portray the president, and you know, all we're really seeing is as if we're you know outside, kind of looking in, and happen to be hearing these conversations. I thought it was it was a nice way to play that. Yeah, um, so effectively, Nixon kind of isn't in in the film, but he is, uh, and I, I I have to say to everyone's disappointment, uh, Nixon is not in Elvis. Um, I was I was hoping that there would be a, a, another because obviously we had you know uh, Elvis Elvis meets Nixon that film uh, to, came out the same time as Ithaca to, came out uh, uh, to the idea of continuity yeah. though I can't remember does Nixon appear in all the President's Men only no. only they via never, news no. footage right isn't there isn't there some news footage yeah okay 
So, but I mean, so yeah. a similar tactic. Yeah. Right. To keep him at arm's length. Except, of course, in that we also have the uh, like the teletype that t- that t- types very very loudly between scenes to let us know what's sure. happening. Um, that's true. So that's like the, that's like the kind of transitional thing that they do here. They just go, you know, they go to the White House and then you know we're on to the next thing. Um, but yeah, so Nixon's not happy. I mean. You know, I mean, <laughs> headlines. Yeah, at uh, at the Graham House, uh, Ben comes over and he's like, you know, I wanna, I wanna find out who the source is. You know, like we've got to figure out who's the source of these papers so we can get them before the New York Times and we can break the story before they do and we can get all the information. And she's like, yeah, sure, whatever. But they discuss a little bit about how, you know, because he's like, yeah, but um, I don't know how to break this to you, but you're friends with Robert Nakamura, and it looks like he's implicated in a lot of this, and he might not be a good guy, and what do you want us to do about that? And she's like, yeah, but you were close buddies with the Kennedys, so, you know, did you... What was going on there? <laughs> and they're both like, hey, okay, all right, you know, like, it's DC. Everybody's friends with everybody, so... And that's, yeah, that sets up the story of this closeness um, in an interesting way, because I guess I never really thought about that that much, about kind of this period in time where the press and the politicians were all kind of in bed together. And, and you know, kind of what we get right out of the gate at the beginning of this film is that sense that the politicians and the press are just playing their roles, and uh, doing what they need to do um, so that they can all still be buddy-buddy at the parties and everything. Um, but it's really not until this point when, uh, when things really start shifting. And that's what, that's what I do find interesting about this film is the way that we're kind of watching that shift of politics starting to realize that this whole idea of this free press isn't necessarily always good for them. Um, when the press is actually doing their job and the, the press can't necessarily just be best friends with all these people. It, it ends up playing really interestingly in these little okay. scenes of her as she's realizing this relationship with McNamara. And there will be a, a scene later on between the two of them that really sells that for me. So That's a great scene. Once we get to that scene, yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that. But uh, yeah, so um, I, w- I should say as well, I didn't talk very much about this, but obviously... Um, you know, Dan Ellsberg was not happy with what was going on, so he took a bunch of top secret stuff and he cut the page numbers off the bottom where it said top secret and identified him as the source, photocopied it all at the, at the photocopier at the Rand Corporation. Um, and I was, I, I, the only way I know about the Rand Corporation is through The Simpsons making jokes about the Rand Corporation. So I was, yes. so I was like, oh, wait, there, that's not just a joke on The Simpsons, it's an actual thing. But yeah, it was, you know. It's it's I think it still exists today, but it's you know, it's it's a it's like a I I think these days it's generally seen as a kind of right wing think tank. Um but I, it's very also, militaristic. So, you know, it's pro military. I, I had like a re- I had a reverse version of that when they mentioned Holderman, I had a thirty rock joke <laughs> flash in my head too. So I, I'm with you. Yeah. Um but you know, it's it's got it's got like, you know, it makes hundreds of millions every year just to tell governments, yes, you should bomb more countries or whatever like and uh you know obviously dan ellsberg had a you know a crisis of conscience and so he decides he's going to copy all this top secret stuff um and bob odenkirk's character who i'm you know just going to keep calling bob odenkirk for the sake of simplicity (laughs) he he thinks he has an idea of where this information is coming from like who would have done this the survey that they did and he knows a guy who used to work at rand corporation and he tells ben bradley you know he was you know known for being a bit outspoken you know having long shaggy hair um which is just you know um <laughs> it's just uh matthew reese's real hair basically <laughs> um and so it's like 
yeah, you know, he he was he was always somebody who didn't like the processes um, and was a bit vocal. And so he's going to see if he thinks that's the source. So he's going to try and track him down. Um, and then we have a lunch where Kay meets with uh, A.M. Rosenthal um, as played by Michael Stolberg, everybody's favorite um, guy from that one Coen Brothers movie who has then had a nice career as you know a character actor for the last like 10 15 years um, but yes and they're kind of talking about the investment and you know going public and what it means and how they're talking about the share prices and what share price it should be at how many shares they're going to be selling you know the fact that they they want to um, you know properly finance good reporting um, and you know, spend money on them, wherever. and so you know, there's that, that that discussion continues throughout the film, um, and you know, we we see that um, you know the New York Times are publishing more uh, about these papers, and we find out. Um, I think is this via the? I don't think this is via the intern. He does the intern does a nice thing when he returns, where he's like, "This is what tomorrow's front page is going to be." Draws it out. Draws <laughs> like a, a, a like a little yeah. kind of thing that he saw over someone's shoulder. Um, but we find out that Nixon is going to take the New York Times to court and, you know, they're going to, you know, basically sue them to stop them from printing stuff, which I think anybody would think is the least ethical thing you could possibly do as a government <laughs> is to sue the press to stop them from printing a story. And also, I have I have a feeling that, you know, obviously Barbara Streisand also knows about this. If you do something like this, you just draw more attention to it. So if they, I, I think if Nixon had just left it alone, obviously he couldn't. That was the problem with Richard Nixon. He could never leave anything alone. But if he had just left it alone and just let them publish for a few more days and the whole story would have just blown over and nobody would have cared about it. But, but I but think that, that, again, it speaks you know. to the time. And maybe it's just because we're not, you know, recording this back in 1972. But that whole idea of being in this place where the government was kind of seen as this thing that had all that power... And the press was doing its job as the press, but not necessarily supposed to do things like this. And so if it got a government secret revealed to them, they were actually, because they were all buddy-buddy, they were supposed to say, hey, by the way, this came across our desk. We'll just send it right back to you. Um, no harm, no foul. Um, and so so that's yeah. what I think is interesting about it is that I, I wonder, and I, I, I'd be very curious if there were any polls done of the population at the time of people thinking, you know, that the government should be stopping the newspaper and the, that the newspaper shouldn't be reporting these government secrets that they kept saying, you know, people could get killed because of this if you reveal these secrets. And so I, I wonder if the spins that the government were doing were effective for the population. I mean, obviously, you know, mm. I, I can only have a 2020 sure, yeah, yeah. view of it. And that is and that is that it looks immediately suspicious for the government to start suing you for printing their secrets. <laughs> um, and also when they keep going, oh, people could get killed because of this. Nobody goes, yeah, people have died already. Um, yeah, yeah no one says. That. Yeah. Like, I expected somebody I waiting for that. Yeah, I, expect, I expected someone to go, oh, people could die because of these secrets. I expected Jesse Plemons to go, hold on thousands of people have died because exactly. of these what's in yeah so people are already dead who, who do you think you're going to endanger the corpses of the people who've been flung back <laughs> anyway they don't go in that direction you're going to ruin so many funerals <laughs> yeah uh you know you can only fold a flag so many times but, but yeah um but bob, bob odenkirk has is is trying to track down um dan ellsberg and this is kind of intercut with with the kind of 
the discussions about you know the stock exchange and then we see the washington post at the stock exchange it's not done that has it as today where you you're in a little balcony and you ring the bell and everything it's just a bunch of guys in a room <laughs> and so and then we yeah. and then we're on the floor um as seen in trading places where people are throwing bits of paper around and trading <laughs> stuff um but that's intercut with with bob odenkirk gradually figuring out it is dan ellsberg and then trying to find out where he works until he he happens upon as happens in these types of films because this is how it's done in all the president's men as well i don't know if just washington post reporters work like this where they were he calls the place and they're like he's not here you know he's not here now as in he's gone home for the mm-hmm. day and so he's like oh so he does work there then um and i feel like that's the entire of all the president's men is asking a question somebody replying accidentally and giving you the information and going oh so he's definitely there then you know on you know mondays or whatever like figuring out the information so i did like that they kind of carried a little bit of that kind of like washington post reporter asks it a is, question gets the wrong answer and figures something out that kind of i wonder too i've never been a journalist myself either but i that kind of like logical assumption kind of comes in like even going back to the intern you know who is supposed to get information and he comes back with like their their front page looks like this nobody says well that's nothing that could be you know (laughs) the history of jackie robinson or something it was like no that confirms our assumption that this is happening and it's kind of the same sort of like Two plus two equal, you know, like I've given you two plus two and you have to put together four. That kind of. Yeah. Uh, it, it kind of makes sense. He just, he just writes the, the word Neil and everyone's like, that's it. We yeah. know. We yeah. know now. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It's confirmed. So the same thing happens here. Yeah. But the same thing happens here where like they didn't deny it or they said they don't know who this person is. And therefore it could it, the possibility yeah. and the likelihood is. That that you do know who this person is, and they do work. By, by answering, he's out to lunch. You've you've answered the question. Does yeah, it work there? Right, right. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, he 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 gets a number, but uh, in in obviously, you know, Bob Odenkirk is a natural comic. So when they give the number, he hasn't like he drops his pen and then he drops the phone and then when he picks the phone back up, the person's gone. They said the number very yeah. quickly and he's like, oh wait, hold it. And so they they, they give him a bit of business to do. Um, and well, that's at the yeah. that's at the payphone, right? Yes, yeah. It's always, I like, it's always yeah, I like that too. It's that always you, pay phones. Well, every, nobody's yeah. talking on on office phones. They're always they're always going to other phones elsewhere. To and not only it. was it a great um, just use of a pay phone, but when he said make sure you call on a different line, you've got that great tracking shot that Spielberg does, where he tracks from he's parallel with the pay phone as he's on the call, but then he tracks over and you reveal oh it's actually a whole bank of pay phones and it just I'll just I'll just <laughs> do this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, he's, he's obviously, he, you know, he's got in touch with Dan Ellsberg. He's going to meet with him. He's going to, you know, he, he, he goes to see him and he sees piles and piles and piles of documents, uh, just on a bed. Um, but I should say, obviously, you know, before that happens, there is a little scene where a shoebox gets delivered and it's got papers in. Um, and, and, but by the time they, by the time they read the papers, they realize the New York Times has already got that story. So effectively, whoever was like sending them out has sent them to, to that is a great, that is a great little scene though. Oh yeah. 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 Just saying this was delivered to my desk and and Hank's first answer is no. (laughs) (laughs) And then he has to go to the other guy next to him. Yeah. Right. To get him convinced. And then it goes back through again. And we're like, uh, we think we got something. And do you know who delivers the package? That was Spielberg's daughter. No, that was Sasha. Sasha uh, Spielberg is the one oh, who delivers really? the package. <laughs> yep. And 
Good yeah. for her. And she's delivering it to uh, the guy. He's on uh, Only Murders in the Building, if either of you are watching that. Yes, yeah. that's where I've seen him. Uh, he has he's, the cats. I, I think the he's cat? the one with... I can't remember who he is. No. Uh, he's, he's the one who's... Um, I don't know. He's he's always... Yeah, he's in the building. He's in the he's building. very suspicious <laughs> of him. And he's great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So after, after that, you know, failure uh, with the shoebox, um, you know, we've now got a bigger box uh, that has all the papers in. And uh, in, as seen in the trailer, this was the thing that I just remember for the trailer was him, you know, saying government secrets. And obviously it was Bob Odenkirk. So I was like, oh, Bob Odenkirk. And then Steven Spielberg. And I was like, what a weird combination of <laughs> things to be happening in the world at this particular time. But, uh, you know, <laughs> Donald Trump was president, so anything could happen, quite frankly. Um, and so he's got a second seat for all these documents uh, that are in, you know, a, a big box. One of those boxes that in American TV shows people always have when they get fired. He's got he's got. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a severance box. Two of them. There's <laughs> yeah. one on the on the floor. So yeah, lots right. of secrets. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he's flying back. Um, you know, with the with the box, um, and he arrives at Ben Bradley's house. Uh, we should say at this point. I mean, we haven't really mentioned her because she's she's. I mean, she's her character isn't really present. Um, uh, Sarah Paulson is playing Ben Bradley's wife. Well, she's um, she's not. She's she's well. She she has a very key scene later. We'll just say. Yeah, but up until this point in the film, she's yeah, kind of she's she's the wife. She's the one making sandwiches for people. Yeah, and that's what she will be doing because obviously they've agreed to meet with all the journalists. And the whole newsroom is basically in Ben Bradley's front room, and the boxes arrive. And when they take them out, they realize that they're not in any order. They're just random pages, and they've got no page numbers because those had to be cut off. And there's like cannot even imagine. There's, there's four thousand pages, and basically we get you know a scene where everybody starts trying to sort them to get them into some kind of order to be able to find the stories because they've got three days before they go to press on this, and they are they are literally like people are remembering like they read a page and they're passing it to another person, uh, and you know there's a nice bit of camaraderie as they all uh, you know are passing stuff around. And people are sitting at typewriters, starting to write up some of this. I do like that scene. It, it's yeah. it's a very like kind of Hollywoody version of what it might have been like, but it is fun t- to see them all just shouting across. They're like it's a mix of oh my god, I can't believe they hid this, and then uh, hey, that reminds me of that, and then I've got sandwiches. And we're all operating around a house and the kids selling lemonade, you know, like all those different things. It's like, oh, it's it. Uh, yeah, it all she's adds not up. giving that lemonade away either. She's charging 50 cents for that, for that lemonade. I like how, yeah, I like how her dad is jacking up the price. Oh, no, inflation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then we get the entrance of everyone's favorite ginger in Hollywood, uh, Jesse Plemons. He will be playing the, the, the lawyer, uh, Roger Clark, which I don't think isn't a real person. It's just a stand in. And I haven't. I haven't put research to this, but I feel like Plemons is having a good like the last three or four years is like he's in he's in uh, uh, black. Uh, what is it? Judas and the Black Messiah, yep. uh, the Irishman, uh, Way of the Dog, this power with power of the power dog, dog, Jungle sorry. Cruise. Yeah, <laughs> but like he was he's I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah, yeah, he, he's, he's been, been in, in uh, he's he's fun in Antlers. But he's perennially like in these big Oscar bait, like all the. He did. He did um, yeah. Game Night right after this, and everybody loved him in Game Night for his kind of like the so extremely creepy that. name. <laughs> um, yeah. And he was also in Vice, you know, which is another political film. Oh yeah. Um, yep. yep. And uh, obviously he was in Bridge of Spies. 
uh, right. Yeah. He and and uh, the program in you know, playing another real uh, person in there, uh, which is about obviously Lance Armstrong. But then to show my uh, to show my bias because I first know him from Friday Night Lights and my wife too. We see him come on and we're like oh, Landry, which isn't even. It was like that's so like now disrespectful. Like it's Jesse Plemons. Say his name. He's like nope. He his nickname from that <laughs> show is who is from a full decade before this film. A full decade. Well, I called him Todd forever because of Breaking oh, Bad. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. You know, oh, that was, that was my my meeting of him was that and, creepy And guy I even called him, the... I would even call him Lance, which is what the nickname, it's on Friday Night Lights, the coach messes up the name Landry and accidentally calls him Lance. So like every now and then we'll all <laughs> refer to him as Lance. And we're like, that's not even the right wrong name. Right. <laughs> but here he is, he's playing a lawyer. And obviously we see on his face the shock that <laughs> he, all yeah. these documents are here. And he's like, what is going on? And uh, what I like is the fact that he calls his boss, which again, I don't think is a real person, but you know, just a character who stands in for the legal team uh, at the time at the post, uh, played by Zach Woods, um, who was on the Silicon Valley and is a, you know just a wonderful actor. <laughs> it's really just to see Zach Woods and, and Jesse Plemons in a scene with Tom Hanks is just kind of insane. Two kind of like <laughs> weird looking guys. Yeah. Like they both are a little bit like Jesse Jesse Plemons has always just struck me as like he's just like a unique face. And then yeah, and then the other guy is like his eyes are like a little set back farther, and you're like yeah, kind of weird. Just to have him with, and here's Tom Hanks <laughs> on on Silicon Especially Valley. In, his, yeah, like, his character yeah. just got weirder and weirder as each of the seasons yeah. went on. But yeah, so you know they're discussing basically you can't you can't publish any of these without letting the attorney general know first. And and obviously Tom Hanks is like, what are you, are you out of your minds? We're not going to tell the attorney general we're going to publish the story using top secret papers. That's not a thing we're going to do. I don't know why you think that's the next course of action we should be taking. Um, in fairness to them, though, once once you know once things go in the opposite direction and then, you know, they decide that they're going to, you know, publish the stories, uh, he goes and defends them in court. So he, you know, he, he he's just doing his job. So. Um, you know, fair play to the stand-in for probably seven or eight different lawyers who were working at the Washington Post at the time. Um, you know, but uh, you know, again, I don't think Zach Woods is in, in after this scene. I don't think he's in the film again. Um, so you know, it's effectively a little cameo. Um, you know, we the, the now that the company is public, there is some fear that um, the investors might pull out, um, and so we get a fantastic like seven-way phone call. As, as you know, um, there's going to be a phone call to Kay. And so, you know, because Fritz arrives, obviously, because, you know, he's he's concerned about things. And so there's a he's going to phone Kay. But, uh, but, you know, Ben Bradley's like, this is my house. I'm going to go on the extension in the other room. And then obviously the lawyers are also on there. And, then, and then, Arthur shows up. Ben yeah. Bradley Whitford's character. <laughs> yeah. And so what I find funny about Arthur showing up is he's on the phone at first. And then Kay is like. There's an extension in the room. Go to that. So he has to go. <laughs> like he doesn't get to stay. Um, you know, she's she's like t- says to her daughter, "Go and show him where the extension is." So he, you know, and we have this kind of back and forth between you know the people who are concerned about the investment and the people who are concerned about the legality, and then in between, you know, Ben, uh, you know, uh, something he said earlier in the film, which is the only way to defend the right to publish is to publish. And I wrote down that line because I thought that was like the most like I want to say almost super actory of Tom Hanks because what he really says is the only way to reserve the right to publish is to publish. Like he, he, <laughs> he really kind of goes blah, 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 at the end there. And I don't know. I was like, oh, a character. 
<laughs> Whoa! So if you you know if you're gonna if like if you want to prove that you can you still have freedom of the press, then you have to act, exercise freedom of the press. You have to, to do, do it. it. Yeah, right, you, yeah. Like, you can't you can't just be like, oh yeah, we will publish a story when it's in the national interest. When you have a story that is literally in the national interest right in front of you, and of course this is the big moment where you know Catherine Graham is like, go ahead and publish it, and of course we then go and see. Um, you know, the, the press is running. I want to say, I, I think it's that moment, but I really like Streep's choice to, like, she doesn't quite give a full-throated, you know, do it. She doesn't stand, yeah. she kind of, she's still, you know, sort of suffering or trapped from that that way of thinking. So she kind of right, swallows right. her words a little bit. She's got a sort of a defensive posture. Her mouth, Her hand is sort of over her mouth, but she's like, do it you know like but she said do it that's that is what counts so you go but i I thought she played it really well of having both angles well and she uh, correct me if i'm wrong but hasn't by this point she's had the conversation with her daughter about trying to figure out what what's right like what how to please you know represent what her yeah, I don't her remember dad had done with the paper. Yeah, I can't remember. I think it's um, a scene after where she's Okay, no, it's right after. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's like the yeah, next cause... scene after this. After all yeah. after all the back and forth in the print room and all the people typing and everything. Like the right, cuz she'll have her. one more um, moment. But right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's funny because uh, in uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood there's a whole thing which tells you how uh, magazines are made and they show you the print rolls <laughs> and the presses and everything. And this feels a little bit like it's doing the same thing. <laughs> being like, yeah, here's, making the, the, papers, here's the type yeah. set and everything. I got into that quite a bit. Not like I researched it, but I just really liked watching that sort of stuff. And just, you know, just the marveling of like, God, this is how you did it. Like, I don't know if they still, I don't even know if they still do it that way. I can't imagine they do. But just the the whole, sometimes that stuff fascinates me to think like, you know, this was a hundred year process and this is how, like the only way you could do it for a, a so long, long time. Long. And it was like, yeah. and it seems so laborious. We're, to- we're talking yeah. like nearly seven or eight hundred years of fixed time. Yes. Like, Printing like, press. Yeah. yeah. You know, all yeah. the way back to Gutenberg. Like it was, this is, that was how you did it. And then. You know, movable type and digital printing came in <laughs> and then you can put a newspaper together in a couple of minutes. So, um, or, or that's my impression from the wire on the wire and season five. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people. Sh- you have a, okay. You have a source. That's good. Yeah. But I, uh, yes, but no, yeah, I do. I'm, you know, it's funny cause, um, you know, um, in, in my, in my, um, I was going to say town center, but we're a city in the city center. There is a newspaper and you can see the gigantic oh, yeah. paper. And you can see the huge printing presses that you've got. Because obviously the presses still need to be large to be able to, to do, you know, hundreds yeah. of thousands of... I lo- yeah, we, even, in, even where I grew up, I mean, this is in the 80s and stuff, but there was like a local newspaper. And yeah, it was awesome to just kind of go and watch the, 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 that mechanism. It's incredible. The the way that like because they obviously you have to have like a forklift to load that paper on like it's it's absolutely yeah, huge yeah, it's right, like, right. it's like a twelve foot roll it's like it's crazy it's amazing to think that like I I can't even imagine the the meetings or the designer to say like well how how do you build the newspaper it's like well you're not gonna believe this but you need like three stories and it's gotta like zigzag <laughs> around here and then go there and you're like that's the best way you can do it it's like this is the only way we can do it <laughs> it's crazy yeah. Yeah, you do it. You do it in. I I used to work as a graphic designer. I did, you know, didn't do newspapers, but I did small 
things where you'd have like 20, 40 pages and you have to figure out how to get it so it would print right. and everything. Yeah. So there's a, like le- doing the layouts is like a, you know, a newspaper is a full time job. Of, and especially back in those days where you had to literally letter by letter put all of the, Jeez, the no things. kidding. And then also, you know, because I mean, literally, it's called typesetting, is it? Because that's what they would yeah. do. They would, yeah, and they would what have a to job. Create. Yeah, and and doing it every day for a daily paper. That's, yeah. it, it just you know, and then the the size of the Sunday. I mean, it's insane. But you know, and then the poor boys who have to try and deliver those papers on a Sunday. You know, breaking their back. At, you know, well, you know. So um, obviously, that's what news is about. I assume. I assume news is just about how big Sunday newspapers were. Uh, I haven't seen. The <laughs> but then, but I and I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here, but that's something I did like where in this movie where all the while we've been talking about, you know, how this impacts this person, that person, then how this, you know, what, you know, they're trying to convince Kay not to do it because it'll jeopardize all these jobs and stuff. And then when they go to press, you have this almost subtle, subtle for Spielberg escalation of jobs. You know, it's like, here's the, here's the typesetter. Here's the people working that here's them setting it. Here's all the people driving the trucks. Here's all the people loading the trucks. And they're like, and we saw hundreds of news those bound up papers onto the truck yeah and just, the next guy and all that kind of yeah it's like it a was operation. a just it felt like an effective it felt like an effective and deliberate choice to be like you want to talk about jobs for this newspaper here here they are like here are the yeah. people we haven't even seen yet who have speaking roles these are all these people behind this probably isn't even there's probably hundreds more well, yeah. that's just it speaks even more to the to the system. It's not just that giant machine right. that is printing this thing. It is all of these people that are are every day doing their exact same thing. The typesetter, even down to the like the three or four boys that they had like running out into the street to grab the stacks of yeah. papers to bring them back <laughs> to that. the newsstand. It's yeah. it's hilarious. It yeah, I wonder system. how much of that. I don't know how it works now, but it was kind of funny to see that shot from the truck and them just throwing it out on the street because it's the middle yeah. of the morning no one's there <laughs> and then yeah the three or four kids yeah the three or yeah. four kids go get them and they start printing at yep. midnight and they've got to have it all bound and ready by like three four o'clock in the morning so that yeah. they can get, get their delivery thing so uh yeah um yeah so it's i mean you know steven spielberg man of the people billionaire um so obviously you know wanting to show the working <laughs> people behind this but th- there's also talk then of how the investors are threatening to pull out uh, you know, we're still getting this talk from all the stuff suits. And, um, you know, it's po- it's pointed out that, like, because um, they're, they're going on about, like, the prospectus. And it's like, yeah, but what does the prospectus actually say? It says that we're a newspaper, number one, who prints <laughs> the news, number two, and who will do vigorous reporting, number three. And what do we do? Like, because they're going, oh, it's an extraordinary circumstance. And she's like, no, it's not. It's just printing a newspaper that's reporting a story. That's what we do every day. If for a newspaper, it doesn't matter what the story is. It is it's never extraordinary. It's actually extremely mundane to print a newspaper with stories in. That's the whole point of how the business works. And if the investors didn't understand that when they put money into a newspaper, then they clearly didn't read the prospectus. And that's a good point. It's a good point. You know, that's like if you're if, if you're going to get nervous when a newspaper prints a story that's a little bit controversial, don't put money into newspapers. <laughs> and unfortunately, that's obviously what's happened in the last 40 years. Yeah. Well, that that it felt especially relevant. The idea of news media not being a loss leader, not being like having to be a revenue generator as opposed to like the prospectus says, it's like we're supposed to be printing the news. We're supposed to be doing journalism, not like, well, we have to make room for ads. 
<laughs> we got to make room for enough Tide commercials or whatever. And of, and of course, part, part of the thing that she rehearsed before she went into the meeting, you know, way, way back at the start of this film was the fact that the investment, like the money raised, will help pay for 25 reporters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the point is to have more reporters so that you can report more news. Well, and it speaks, I, I think that whole build of the end that we have, um, to because there's that first build that we talked about, and then the second build after they find out, oh, it might be the same the same source and that could put us in contempt of court just like the New York Times yeah. and put us you know in front of the Supreme Court and then we have the whole second confrontation and that is really kind of the one where um, it, it, there is that great moment where she kind of has that conversation with Arthur uh, Bradley Whitford's character about you know what maybe you're not maybe she doesn't come out and say it but like maybe a person like that shouldn't be on the board and and I thought that was a nice a nice nod to the fact that you know are we here to to appease these people or are we here to report the news? Yeah. And yeah. he clearly was of the mind that we are here to, to do people. what we can to get more money for our investors. Yeah, yeah just to print so, fake news. That's all it is. It's just fake yeah. news. Everyone knows it's fake news. There's nothing real in the newspapers. It's all <laughs> fake news. It's not like all these hundreds of people are spending all this effort to actually bring people factual stuff. No, no, it's just all fake news. Um but yeah, so this is also this is also where we get the conversation with you know the daughter where she's talking about how she kind of didn't expect to be here. She didn't expect to be the person yeah. running the paper and owning the paper and all this kind of like this wasn't something that she was after. She was more than happy, um, you know, hobnobbing at various parties in DC. Uh, like you say, there is that scene where she's 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 there with like they're at the dinner party with Robert Na- McNamara. And then it's like, you know, well, we're about to talk politics. And all the ladies are like, <laughs> I think I think this is our cue to leave. Which yeah, reminded me all of just so get many, up. Yeah, so many scenes in Mad Men where, like, it was literally the ladies are going to go and chat in that room now. And and also it's really weird because, of course, you know, Kay gets up and she leaves with the women. Mm-hmm. And then they're talking to her and they're like, oh, but you've got this day job. Isn't that difficult? And she's like, yeah, it is a little bit. Like, yeah, one of them I says, can... like, and you have to work. Like, the way she <laughs> says it is so all... <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so so that that you know with um you know alison brie playing her her daughter lally uh which i i don't think that's her real name her real name is elizabeth <laughs> but you know they they call her lally yeah um and so yeah i'm you know she she she's kind of talking with her about how she didn't expect to be in this position you know she like she kind of expected uh, the paper to go to her, her husband and her husband would run it for years and she'd support her husband. And she'd go out to the parties and that would be it. But this is the position they're in. And so, you know, she wants to make sure she can secure this for, for Lally and for her brother and, you know, make sure that the the family still owns the paper. And obviously they did until 2013. But and you I'm, I'm going to break no new news to say that Meryl Streep's really good. And that's another scene where she's really it's good. It's shocking. I don't it's know what you're talking about. Print yeah. this. Uh, but stop headline. the presses. Literally that, stop the presses. That um, scene is... We just said all these. Meryl Streep. Yeah. She's pretty good. <laughs> uh, but that's a, that's a good demonstration of it where she... It's kind of both like affirming and bittersweet the way she plays it where she's not sad that she's moving into this role, but she's also like acknowledging that you know, maybe I was like sort of just blind to my opportunities. Was I, was I, you know, complacent and, you know, was I just going along with things, but that's how you did it. And it has all these little notes and just her voice. And yeah, it's, 
She still got it. Well, that's one of the three conversations that really stand out for me in the film as we build to kind of the climax and these these character arcs that we have. And and the conversation with uh, Catherine and her daughter is one of them. The other one is where she's talking to McNamara and um, the, the revelation, once she's realized everything that has come of that, it's the first time that she's been able to kind of um, take her... Um, uh, look past her admiration and her uh, respect for him as a friend and actually look at the politics of all this, realizing that her son was there and could have died. And he knew he willingly like, you know, went along with everything and didn't say anything to her about the fact that, you know, we don't really, we shouldn't be there. We're, you know, all these troops are dying, all this sort of stuff. And she's she's grateful that her son came back, but he might not have. And the realization for her, it, like that is the thing, I think, that it's a powerful moment in that scene. Again, you know, Meryl Streep, look at how great she can act. But that moment where she realizes her son could have died and he knew about it. And that that really, that was a very powerful scene. Yeah, her son Donald served from 67 to 68 uh, in Vietnam. Yeah. Mm. Uh, after 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 being president of the Crimson at Harvard, um, so well to be expected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then he later became a, a policeman uh, before he, you know, um, like took over um, at the post, uh, where he remained until two thousand, um, and then he left. And uh, a few years later, he was on the board of Facebook uh, from two thousand nine to two thousand fifteen. Really? So Lally Lally was wow, with yeah. the post for a long time too, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah, she was the one that in which I think is why we get more of her than we do anything sure. to do with her son. Obviously, we get some mentioned in that conversation, but you know th- th- that's the character that she talks to the most uh, within the family because obviously she ended up kind of taking yeah. over, um, you know, after her mother's death and a little bit before her mother's death. I think actually, I think her mother retired like about ten years before she died, um, and then she kind of steered it, and then eventually the family sold it to, uh, to yeah. Bezos. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know they're trying to stop the presses because they're going to get sued, um, and you know Kay is insisting like you know they've got to publish, they've got to publish these stories, they can't you know kowtow to it, um, and so they you know they go ahead and they put they publish you know more of the stories you know they, they and and it's found out that obviously the Washington Post is going to have to go to court, um, and that might end up going to the Supreme Court. Uh, so we see the defense to start off with um, but- in the court, but we also get a conversation between. Uh, ben Bradley and Catherine Graham, where he's like, you know, because um, she's like, you know, we, we, we were friends with these people that we were reporting on, but they were our friends. And he tells this story about how, you know, after Jack was shot, uh, don't know if you've heard about that. I don't know if they've covered it on film at any point. Uh, <laughs> interestingly, um, Tom did, uh, Tom, yeah, Tom did produce a film uh, called Parkland, which is literally about this incident that he right, describes. Right. So it's kind of it's kind of funny that this might be a backdoor promotion for a different Playtone film. <laughs> um, and so he's he's talking he's talking about how after Jack was shot, you know, Jackie flew back and to Washington, and he met her uh, on the tarmac. Basically, she still had Jack's blood on on her extremely expensive suit it was like she was wearing them and like she's basically like i'm not gonna talk to you about this like this you know, this is never gonna be in the papers like you know we can talk but yeah. i'm i'm not a source for you and in that moment he was like i you know i thought she was a friend but it turns out no actually she viewed me as the press and 
not a friend and you know she she didn't want to talk to me about this because she didn't want it ended up in print without having to say it's off the record or whatever you know like and and that kind of realization that you know these the these people aren't you know even though you're reporting on them you're talking to them every day and you know you're using them as sources for certain stories or all that kind of stuff it's like they're definitely not your friends they are like they're a, they're a source for a story or they're the subject of a story you can't treat them as friends um and you know that kind of emphasizes you know it's something that i feel that Catherine graham probably realized earlier but for the sake of this film it's 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 shown as like her growth of realizing that no with you know we're the free press and we need to be the free press and that's why we've got to fight um you know to kind of keep publishing these stories uh, even if the government are saying uh, you know it's top secret you shouldn't be doing that but you know everyone knows that top secret's not that high up it's like, <laughs> Half half the people wandering around the building in the Pentagon, the, the receptionist in the Pentagon has top secret clearance. Like it's not a high clearance, you know. The higher clearances are way above top secret. So, but still, you know, like I I just I did like that conversation. And again, you know, you've got yeah. two very good actors on screen who they've won a couple of awards for this stuff to do. So, you know, I just thought it was nice to have them kind of just to get because there's a lot of stuff with. Like we say, there's a lot of parties being interrupted and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of stuff like that where there's, there's there's lots of other people milling about. Uh, so it was nice to get a scene where it's literally just Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep on screen discussing the important themes of this yeah. film. Well, and, and that follows the scene where, uh, where because what I love about Ben Bradley as a character is he never really looks past the what's right as far as the paper is concerned. And he never sees it from Catherine's point of view. And he has that great conversation with his wife. Uh, and yeah, she, yeah, I, I yeah, brave. talking about exactly how brave she is. And that was really a great eye-opening moment for Ben that allowed him to have that conversation with Catherine where he realized how much she actually, how much is, she's at stake. And, and that's why I, like there are a lot of great conversations right toward the end of this film that just, they all work so well. And, you know, I mean, I can see why that's, you know, Sarah Paulson signed on just to have that, that conversation with Tom Hanks. Cause I mean, that scene plays right. really well too. So yeah. Great moments in there. And we see that Dan Ellsberg is anonymous no more. He has come forward and, uh, you know, he's like, I didn't like what was going on. So uh, we see that on TV. Um, they do end up uh, uh, putting him. I don't they don't put him in jail, but they put him on. They convict him of of uh, espionage and sentence him to 115 years, I think. And then by the time he gets, yes. uh, they end up, it all gets dismissed. But. Uh, yeah, that, I thought that was interesting to, that he had had to go through all of that even after all this, or because of all this, I guess. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. It's I mean, you know, it's uh, it's kind of it's kind of weird that yeah, like I mean, you know, he he served, he, you know, he had a military career. He served in the Marines for a few years, so like, it's not like he wasn't familiar with war. Like, obviously, that's how he got his position in the in the in the department to be able to go and monitor it because like they wouldn't send somebody who had no experience of war to go and monitor a bunch of soldiers <laughs> so you know he knew what he was doing and uh, yeah so he was obviously disgusted by what was going on and you know but because he's come forward i think that also changes uh, you know the fact that uh, you know that the both the washington post and the new york times were kind of protecting him as a source but now he's come forward it makes it a, a bit easier for them to kind of publish the stories um but yeah you know the, the lower court rules and it's like okay it's going to the supreme court um which of course are referred to by Brent bradley as the supremes uh which is the title of an episode of the west wing about the supreme court uh, so i like <laughs> to think that's josh singer's probably throwing that in there as a bit of a west wing call out um yeah and you know we see that 
um, Bob Odenkirk, you know, has been busy uh, behind the scenes uh, for the sec- for the second half of this film. He's you know he's less featured, uh, but he's been contacting other papers and effectively, from what I understand, selling the story to all these local papers. Um, so they all have his byline, and basically, dozens of other papers around the country have published the exact same story as the Washington Post and the New York Times. And so now, like, if they get taken to court, the entire press of the United States gets taken to court. Um, and there's a you know a whole bunch of papers put down in front of uh, you know uh, is it Meryl Streep who's in that room, or is it just Ben Bradley? I can't remember. He's putting them down in front of her. People. Yeah, he's putting them down in yeah, front of me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, showing her basically everyone is united. Yeah. Because um, of her. And this because is when we her. get... Because she made that yes, decision. Yes, yeah, yeah, because of her bravery. Yeah, and so uh, we go to the Supreme Court. She gets shown in the side entrance by somebody who works for one of the... Who's <laughs> clerking for one of the justices. Because, obviously, she is, you know, DC royalty and she's well-known. And uh, this person says, you know, she supports her bravery. And, uh, you know, but she'll get yelled at if her boss sees her talking to her. So she, you know... She gets off. yelled at anyway. Um, and we, <laughs> That's what's great about Yeah, well, yes, this is it. Yeah, because in front of Meryl Streep, then she gets yelled at for a completely different reason. Um, so it was going to happen anyhow. So she, you know, she just let her in, uh, you know, the side entrance and, and said how she supports her. And we see all the various different papers, all the people from around the country, you know, coming into the Supreme Court to support this case. And then... As is tradition, uh, instead of actually seeing the verdict being read out in the court, we hear people get relayed it over the phone, and someone's like, "So, I, th- yeah." So, I enjoyed this movie. I think my math comes out to is sixty percent very good, thirty five percent great, and then there's five percent we're just like, "What?" <laughs> and this is, and this is kind of where like I would have proposed a slightly different version where, yeah, you can have them start to say it, but then before they reach the verdict, cut to the headline of the newspaper saying six to six three, to three yeah. in favor. In favor. Like, instead, what happens is that the woman, I don't think we've ever, you know, she's had a couple lines. I don't know who the actor is. Um, but she starts saying it, and then a man steps up and says it. And you're like, what's the message <laughs> yeah. of this movie again? Yeah, it's... And then you she, get to read it. She says it, and six, it feels three, like you and then he goes, in our favor. Right. And it's like... Yeah. And it feels... But it feels like you could have had it closer to this driving theme of, like, of both uh, women empowerment and the power of the press to have one person... being her that woman on the desk saying it and then cut to the newspaper being plopped down and then Meryl Streep being the one to pick it up you know you could have been like oh that's kind of snappy but instead yeah Yeah. like in our favor because we won we're the Washington (laughs) Post okay there are moments in this like that that uh, where one of my notes when I first watched it was like the editing feels sloppier than I've noticed in many Spielberg films and I, I can't help but think that it's partly because he and his team wanted to rush this out so quickly to get it to get it out and uh, you know, f- to feel like it was uh, of the time and speaking to, you know, very pointedly of what was happening in the real world. And because of that, like, I felt several times like there were some weird cuts in here and moments like that that just feel like, you know, if, if there was a little more time, they probably could have made that play smoother. And so, yeah, I, I, I do find that there are those things kind of throughout this that sometimes are little stumbling blocks. Yeah. There were a couple of shots where, like, 
it was kind of clear that they were shooting on a set and outside was just gigantic lights and you're like this like it doesn't look like sunlight coming through there it just looks like a big light and it's kind of not I don't know. It looked a little bit artificial, but like you say, yeah, they were probably rushing production to kind of, you know, get things. So maybe that's what I was reacting to too, because there's a couple times where I was like, is the color weird in this movie? Yeah. Like, it's just kind of like, I don't know if it's supposed to be dull and like, you know, the color is based on, like the white is based on the newspaper white or something. It definitely. Where, like, it's yeah, felt, it's a, is the it's very, weird? It felt a bit muted. It is very muted. It, it's not quite like a sepia yeah. sort of thing, but it definitely, they drained the color quite a bit, it seems, to to give it kind of an, I don't know, just an, an older feel. But yeah, I'm not exactly sure. It feels, it feels a little, maybe that's what I'm reacting to is like, I kind of get why you would do that, but it feels like you could have either done that a different way or just, like this feels like an artificial way. I don't know. It just well consider this. I, I, who am I to critique Janusz Kaminski? But I mean, it just feels the like, director of Cool as Ice, um, the the cinematographer. Of cool oh, as sorry, ice. yeah. Um, <laughs> don't no, you the, dare lay direct, that on his. The director was David Kellogg, was it? I think. Um, but yeah. So I mean, yeah. I, like, I, 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 yeah. It does look a bit muted, but I think it's it's weird because like this story is like from is like fifty years old. And if you think of, like, any films that came out, like, in the 70s, the stories would have been from, like, before, like, the stock market crash in 29. Like, the, the gap of time is, like, huge. But And I think maybe that's why they've kind of... They did something with the colour palette to make it seem a bit more... Like, like they didn't want it to look modern. They wanted it to definitely be in a time yeah. and place. And you can't just do that by having people constantly having discussions about newspapers. But I don't know if I ever get that. I, I can't think of a time when that's ever worked. I know, like, Steven Soderbergh tried to make a movie, like, the I think was The Good German, that he tried to make a movie that was supposed to look like it was made in the 30s and 40s, and it's just like, no. Uh, I don't know if it's just, you know, your own knowledge of you're watching George Clooney in that movie, so you know it's not from the 40s, or I'm watching Tom Hanks in this one, so I know it's not from the 70s, but it just... Well- well, there, yeah, because there, right. there are so many tools that they would have to modify. Like they'd have to, you know, use different lenses. They'd have to, you yeah. know, go back to filming on uh, actual film stocks, and then to that end, they'd have to find older film stocks that don't necessarily take in as much light. And then right. they'd have to use different lights. And and I mean, there's so many things that they'd have to do to really kind of create something that was that felt authentic of that time. And yeah, so, and the, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if they the really hard, could effectively do it. The hard thing they're playing with is that the key players in this movie, Spielberg, Hanks and Streep, all have very popular movies from the period they're trying to recreate. So, like, if I watch Jaws compared to The Post, I'm like, it doesn't look like Jaws. It doesn't look like Close Encounter. You know, it's like it doesn't look the same. And it's, and it's all those reasons you're mentioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's tricky because I, I, I feel like there's an interesting element to period pieces where, okay, it's period. We're going to obviously, you know, create our sets to look period, but then we're going to do what we can to create a look that make just feels older. And it is kind of an odd thing. I mean, I get, I, I get where they go like a sepia tone sort of thing, because that's, that feels very like old photograph colors are kind of fading out. But when it is just kind of more of a muted thing, I feel like it's just a decision because it's, it's a tough gritty story. And so we're going to create a tough gritty look. Mm-hmm. Um, that also feels old. It's I don't know. It's uh, I guess I don't have huge issues with it, but it is definitely something that uh, it, when you start thinking about it, it's like, well, does it fit as much as it should? Maybe not. I mean, also, if you're going to go to that much trouble, you need to get Gordon Willis to do your cinematography. <laughs> yeah, get Gordon Willis. <laughs> I don't know if he's still alive. Is he still alive, Gordon Willis? I don't I think he remember. is. 
I think he I think he he think he died a few years before this film came out, so they couldn't have got Gordon Willis. But yeah. Um but anyway we end up we we finish with a walk and talk as um, you know, uh, both um uh Tom Hanks. I, 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 why am I saying? I'm trying to remember their, their character ah. names. Uh, Kay, Kay and Ben. They decide to walk off into the machinery of a newspaper being published. Lots of, uh, you know, paper going at different angles, walking around them, and they're kind of just chatting in a friendly way, as you would expect they did every single day, because of course they were best pals. Um, <laughs> and we find out that Nixon has banned the Post from future White House events. He's like, don't let them in. Um, you know, those sons of bitches. Um, I, I, that's my only Nixon. Good. I can only do that Nixon impression with just the word sons of bitches. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but then we find out, of course, uh, because karma is a bitch, uh, <laughs> that after this, Richard Nixon, you know, Watergate happens and we see Frank Willis, uh, who obviously discovered it. And, you know, we... we we get we we fill in the blanks. We know what the sequel to this yeah. is, and it's all the president's and men, uh, and it's Richard Nixon resigning. So, you and know. that's another that's another part of my five percent. What? We're just like, it's so on the head. Yeah, I just I don't know why we needed to <laughs> like. W- w- what was the point of having that if not to say, hey, this is how all the president's men starts. Let's end yeah. it like it's literally like one story. And it, like I felt like the same way with Lincoln, where it's like, did we need to end in the theater? Like we already had this great story. <laughs> like it just it all of a sudden felt like, oh, hey, by the way, remember, he also dies. It's like that wasn't the story. And, and so, that's a good yeah, it's weird that's that, a good point. And it is. Yeah, and I agree with you. It is weird. It's I wonder how much of it is just where it's like. If you're talking about the Washington Post and you're talking about Richard Nixon, then <laughs> nine people out of ten are thinking about this. So yeah, you, it's almost yeah. like you have yeah. to say it. But then in another way, if everybody already knows it, and because it's such a big deal after, it doesn't – I feel like I'm, it doesn't suit your story to say, you know, and some much bigger things are going to happen, even more entertaining <laughs> things that don't happen in this movie. Credits. Yeah, this was this was tiny. The next one results in the the bad guy being killed. Um, yeah, it's. I, I mean, I always. You know what? When you when you said Lincoln, do you know what I, I instantly thought of? Because I think it's got almost the exact same ending, which is um, Abraham Lincoln vampire. Oh, where he, decide, where he where it ends with the same scene. Where it ends with him deciding to go to the. He's like because oh, so like his. I can't. I can. I can't remember anything from that film apart from near the end where like his friends like, "Hey, do you want to come out and kill some vampires?" And he's like, "No, I've promised my wife I'm going to the theater." That's incredible. And then so funny. And I think that's how it ends. And then and then you know that was I can't remember which came first, but I have a feeling Lincoln came Lincoln came first. But it was like yeah. And then like they both end in the same way of him deciding to go to the theater, which I just thought was a really weird um, thing. Yeah. So you know, maybe they just can't. uh, It's. uh, well, yeah. I guess in, in the scope of things, I guess I would rather have an ending like this uh, rather than, you know, like uh, somebody say, oh, by the way, we've got these two new reporters here. Uh, and here's 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 Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. You know, like <laughs> might have been might have been a little worse to do that. That would be, I mean, I would have I would have loved that if somebody just knocked on Ben Bradley's door you know and said, what it, can I introduce you to these new reporters? It's, so I don't know where the timing is of this, but it is, this is a, a golden opportunity for me to complain about continuity of stuff, um, but intercontinuity between movies. But all this stuff kind of reminds me uh, a little of Rogue One, where I know that's very different because they're literally playing with the Star Wars franchise, but... <laughs> Like the yeah. truest ending of that movie is the detonation of that planet, and then it's like that's it. But then they tack on these other things, 
with Darth Vader attacking here and then giving the plans to Princess I Leia, mean, where it's like... One of the greatest scenes in cinema history is Darth Vader going down the corridor, knocking people out. That's, all right, that's very people. Your mileage... I'm not saying it isn't good on its own, but in terms of the movie... Oh, it makes no you sense. Could have just, you could have stopped right here, film. but the reason you do it is yeah. to connect it. And, I, and it just... It seems like the harder choice is the better choice here to say like nope yeah. stops right yeah. there yeah. and it's I, I mean a, com- a compromise a compromise would have been to have Woodward and Bernstein walking into the news office and just taking people out with lightsabers <laughs> <laughs> well you, see you mentioning that reminded me of it because i thought <laughs> i bet there's in, in worse hands the worst a- ending is they have a de-aged or CGI rendered Dennis, uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman and uh, <laughs> Robert Redford and Robert Redford come in and you're like, Oh my God, I get it. <laughs> We're, yeah, I know. I mean, they, Only one person plays they, these people. <laughs> they already de-aged Robert Redford for, um, for, uh, was it Ant-Man on the Wars? Uh, or, uh, yeah, one of those two. Two, two. Two of the yeah. Ant-Mans. Yeah, so they so they they could have easily just used that same technology. Right, they, they could have right that there. same Robert Redford. But it's just that, that, yeah. that thing where it's like, this is not that obviously but it it's not too far from that where like oh i want i, mean, I want to have i want to have part of that other revered movie and we're like don't you aren't you doing i enough? mean it is essentially it is by that point it is then setting itself up as a yeah, prequel yes to, absolutely you know and 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 the thing is ben bradley like ages hard between those, <laughs> those it's a lot of marvel years man. Yeah. Oh, he's you know he <laughs> yeah he gets he gets very haggard very quickly. Um, yeah. You know that would be. But yeah, it, I mean yeah. Obviously, it is it is it's kind of weird because it then downplays the fight that they've just had and yes. positions itself as this was just a tiny thing before the main you know the main meal. This was the amuse bouche, and the main meal is getting Richard Nixon's and, resign. And this is maybe not um, this is maybe not like the most authentic way to do it. But if your point to rush it out there was because you know right now we're dealing with all this hostility towards the press, it's like this movie kind of ends where it's like it gets worse. You know, but not in yeah. not in a cynical way necessarily, not in a like teachable way. It's just like a oh, it gets worse. But you know, like yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I really I was not so much. I was enjoying the and, movie up to that point, and then this is where they lost that AARP award. This is where they threw it. <laughs> and 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 the thing the thing is, I I love all the President's Men. It's a great film. A lot of people whispering very quietly. A lot of people saying lines so they get more words than the other person on screen. Um, but what I really, what I find really funny about it is like it's so anticlimactic because the the way that they announce Richard Nixon's resignation is just the teletype yeah. at the end. It just goes Richard Nixon resigned. Stuff, yeah. End the end, and I'm like, well, that's it. Why do <laughs> like, it just it just finishes? It's like, huh? Maybe that's why Dick is better because you get to see his actual <laughs> yeah. resignation to him getting on the helicopter, and you get to see Michelle Williams uh, give him the finger as he flies over. <laughs> I um, just have to say, as a you know, as a as a closing point to all the president's men and this, Jason Robards was 54 at the time that that film was made. Tom Hanks was 61 at the time this film was made. Man, he had a Wilfer Brimley. It's, 54. I know. I know. <laughs> very much those actors 54? Oh, those periods, yeah. yeah wow that's, that's rough yeah i mean that's, well, he I mean, probably really he was fine as much as ben bradley he probably was. was yeah i mean yeah. really yeah tom hanks <laughs> is the anomaly here but geez oh, okay cow. i'm well who was who played um who played Catherine? she wasn't in it in, uh, i don't believe they ever really oh, she dealt had, yeah. with kind of those that upper level it was more just the news reporting Rather than how the company went. Yeah, I was gonna say I didn't remember her being in it, but I was thinking maybe there's one scene or something. It's been a while since I've watched all the President's Men. 
Um, my copy is still on VHS. That's how Holy long God. I've had that film. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, I feel like we said about as much as anyone can say about the post, and we don't want to turn this into a discussion about the sequel to this. <laughs> um, so let's go to judgments, and uh, we're going to start with Philip, and we're going to say, you know, T Hanks or no T Hanks. I'm going to say T Hanks. Um, you know, despite my gripes of of the ending, just like it almost feels like another person was directing it or something. Um, up to that point, I it it's. It's really good. I mean, everybody in it is is excellent. It's not like I said. This is not a headline, but yeah, there are some excellent scenes and good conversations and performances by Streep, apparent, especially. Um, I almost said apparently. Apparently, Meryl <laughs> Streep. Um, uh, no, T. Hanks for me for sure. This it is a T. Hanks. I I enjoy the film. I don't love the film, and I think my challenge with it is because I um, enjoy all the President's Men so much. I I can't help but always comparing these two stories mm-hmm. uh, side by side when I when I watch them, um, and so I, I I I want I wish that um, and I, I I know again why they were rushing through the production of this, but sometimes I wish that they could have paced it a little better so that uh, so that the film could have really kind of given me all the feels and everything, and I could have really been excited by the time I got to the end. Instead, I just find a really interesting film, uh, great performances though. And uh, still, I mean, it's a very compelling watch. So it's a T. Hanks from me. Yeah, I think as with, uh, you know, probably Charlie Wilson's War and some of the films I've seen since Charlie Wilson's War, I always say T. Hanks, but I'm probably never going to watch this film ever again. <laughs> um, you know, I, I it, like I enjoyed watching it. And I thought, you know, because I, I like the, you know, because of Watergate, um, it overshadows the whole Pentagon Papers thing. So over here, where we don't really get taught anything about American history other than what we see in films. Because this is like the first film that I know of that kind of tackled this subject. I'm sure there's been some documentaries or whatever mm-hmm. over, over the years. Um, but it's like, oh, this was like a big fight for the First Amendment that happened like 50 years ago. And they were successful because obviously, you know, papers are still published to this day. But it's like, it, it's kind of it's kind of weird because it's like, but then a couple of years later, Nixon resigned. And that's that's always what gets the juice. Like, I don't, when I, I mean, I was going to, this is another film. It's been a while since I've seen, but in Nixon... Um, you know, starring Wales, his own uh, Anthony Hopkins playing that role. Um, I don't remember there being any discussion about the Pentagon Papers and him being mad at the Washington Post for that. Like, you, all the stuff is kind of just about him, you know, having a lot of enemies or whatever. But, like, it's, it doesn't feel like it's ever really been the focus of any other film and it doesn't feel like it's bit like a landmark you know case right. or anything or like it's it, like given everything that's happened in the last kind of like decade with regards to you know newspapers basically disappearing and everything moving online and advertising basically ruling everything and like you would have thought somebody would have at some point kind of brought this to someone's attention and been like oh but remember that we fought fought for this in like 1971 we made sure that we didn't lose freedom of the press but it just doesn't it feels like it's a footnote um, and then it feels like it's weird to make like a nearly two hour film about a footnote <laughs> that is then immediately overshadowed by you putting a coder on the end where you're like, and here's yes. here's Darth Vader walking down the corridor, <laughs> taking fools out with his lightsaber. Like, it's just it feels so odd to kind of del- and it and like it's, it's almost the same shots from the opening of all the president's men of like the door and, you know, like the kind of breaking being discovered and all like it's 
you know, and so it's kind of weird that like the film essentially at the end is like, yeah, but there's there's a better film out there that has a more important thing that resulted in a more like in a political earthquake, basically, like the completely, yeah, you know, that put a put a guy in the White House who'd never been elected to anything. Like that's insane. <laughs> it's insane that Gerald Ford managed to be president for like three years and not a single person in America voted to put him in that office. It's crazy that that happened. Like, could you imagine that happening today? Could you imagine, like, you know, Kamala Harris resigns and then someone goes, oh, this person's vice president and then Joe Biden dies and then that person's president. Like, there would be uproar. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's 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 kind of weird that like this this minor thing is like, you know, like it, 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 they made the film about it, and like it's, it's an interesting film. Like you said, it's 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 well shot. It's got so many great performances. Um, in particular, you know, it's nice to see like you know two actors of their generation together on screen. You know, just just being able to act up a storm. Um, but then at the end of it, you're like, oh, but now I should go and watch a different film that's got that's, that's got something more interesting happening in it. And you know, not that this is not interesting. You know, obviously. Uh, you know the America America's involvement in Indochina for for four, for twenty years, like killing people, is is an important story. And obviously, you know, it's weird because that kind of gets lost a little bit. Yeah, like what the papers are about gets lost, and then it's all about the fact that we've got to publish the story that becomes the important thing. And and yeah, you're right. Uh, they like, kind of have they have a lot of important information and important ideas to get out, and then by the end. The, the lasting image at the end is not any of those. It right. is, it's Watergate. And it seems like you could have ended it anyway with like, you know, we helped, we, we started the process of ending the war or something. Or, you know, and more and more women became owners or reporters of newspapers. Or even just, they kind of do this, but it's almost like, I think the best way they could have met in the middle is to have a, a really solid point of them saying, you know, like, the next time something like this happens, we're going to be ready. You know, now we're a united front. Bam. Yeah. Well, and then that's yeah. it. And, and then we would have known. It was like, yeah, they're going to get challenged in like a year. <laughs> it's going to happen right away. And I felt like we had that with the two of them walking off through yes. the, the corridors yeah. of the massive machine making papers. It's like that's exactly yeah. what we needed as the ending. But. Mm-hmm. That was, a, you know, that was a perfect, you know. That was it. But it's weird because because it, it's almost it's almost like the pair of them walking away. They're like, <laughs> America's committed so many atrocities and killed so many people. But Catherine, at least you, as a wealthy heiress, get to keep this paper because we managed <laughs> to print this story. Congratulations to you, Catherine, the hero of the story. Uh, and it's like, I, it's such a weird kind of like. This, I mean, I understand why that this is a slant that the writers who who kind of wrote this chose. But at the same time, like the the start of the film is about the atrocities committed by the U.S. in um, Southeast Asia. The end of the film is about a woman getting to keep her newspaper because she managed to print a story and and get a favorable, you know, um, SCOTUS like hearing. Like it feels like you know, like the reason that that Matthew Reese's character will end up in prison is because of something he risked. Whereas it doesn't, like, it feels like, obviously, you know, the whole film is building up that, 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 that Catherine is risking something. She's risking losing the paper. But you're like, that's not the same as somebody going to prison for, you know, showing the atrocities that right. America committed. Like, I don't know, it, it feels like a slightly muddled 
like you know um it's like i don't know there's some films where they start out telling you about one thing and they it's almost like you know a modern day episode of the simpsons where for the first act the simpsons are going somewhere <laughs> and doing something and by the end it's complete it's a yeah. completely different story that's not and anything when you, when you look at it that way and historically it ends up i mean in film terms the the atrocities are the MacGuffin, which you're like, I feel gross saying. Yeah. It was like, oh, that's that thing that only the characters in the movie care about. You're like, oh my God, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, it, that's, that might be what's kind of out of way. And maybe it's just, I, I think the movie still does, still does work, but it's kind of showing how like, this is bigger than maybe what you could have contained, you know? Well, that's, and that's probably then why, you know, the filmmakers themselves said, you know what, we need to have Watergate end the film Maybe. rather than the two of them walking off of Casablanca style because we want, we need to remind everybody it's about the news, it's not about the characters. And it's about, you know, the press being able to report stuff freely without prosecution. I, I actually think I really would have, if I, if, if I had my druthers, maybe another ending is, and maybe it's a little schmaltzy, is her when she's walking out and all the women are, are looking and admiring Kay as she walks out. Yeah, like it's not, yeah. it's not so over the top, but you obviously notice it and you could have like ended there and then just said, you could add your yeah, teletype some thing text on the screen. and said, yeah, it said Supreme court upheld the decision six to three. Show the headlines. Just show a few papers, That's it. you know? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. We rewrote it for yeah, you. Steven. Have one of those. <laughs> so we'll, yeah. We got we'll lots of back. free advice. <laughs> Have one of those that, spinning newspapers. Watching Post wins. Yeah, that would have been a great ending. Just end it like no credits. Just literally spinning newspaper. <laughs> watching Post wins. And then yeah, and the then end. all the credits. End it. End it like a film the in the 70s. Are, uh, newspapers coming up versions. Very <laughs> very quirky and like a hit song plays by you know Doja Cat. Oh, do you know what? The, that sounds like it would be the end to 27 Dresses, yes. which is a film I love. It should I'm, be. Not, I'm not ashamed of that. And at the end, it's a series of like headlines because he's a reporter and he works for a paper. And each of the pictures yes. is like a picture in a newspaper and then it says their names. And then that's, that's, <laughs> that's the end. So bringing it back full circle, this wanna... is like the Mr. Show sketch version of The Post where they set it up and say, we got Seamus Spielberg to direct 90% of a movie and then we had to hire the guy <laughs> who did uh, 27 dresses you'll never notice it <laughs> you'll never you'll never know actually the it, that was oh, directed sorry, by a woman yeah. I think who uh, who who ended up co-creating Crazy Ex-Girlfriend oh yeah so. that's right um, but but yeah anyway so you know yeah, it's worth watching, but uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, probably uh, the first thing that you, I want to do now is just go and watch all the presidents. <laughs> so it succeeded. It succeeded in making me want to watch uh, a film that, you know, I've watched dozens of times. Um, so the, before we go, let's uh, go to plugs. Is there anything you wish to plug? I'm going to start with Andy. Yeah, uh, I mean, over on the, the Next Real Film podcast, um, we are talking, well, wait, so we just finished the Star Wars trilogy, the original trilogy. We're going to be doing the Paddington films next. Uh, so we're talking about those. Uh, we're doing all uh, series and franchises this year. And then over on Marvel Movie Minute, we're currently talking about Captain America, the first Avenger. So you can find all of that at uh, thenextreel.com or marvelmovieminute.com. Uh, I don't have, I have a new book coming out in the winter. Uh, but in the meantime, you can check out uh, my previous writing. Um, uh, I have a murder mystery called The Murderous Haircut of the Mayor of Bel-Air. Uh, and it is about a woman who is a hairstylist who has psychic abilities 
Um, she touches the backs of people's heads uh, to see the perfect hairstyles that they want. Uh, but then one day she touches the back of the head of a new customer and she sees a dead body. So she's compelled to solve the mystery. And if you Google murderous haircut Philip, you will probably find it or my website or my Twitter uh, because I have a I have a strange last name, but um, that's one way to find me. Which I didn't try to pronounce this time because every time I try to pronounce it, I either get it extremely ah, yeah. correct or extremely wrong. It's a trap. Um, it's a trap of a, of a and <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> and uh, you can find us on Twitter at the extremely odd t underscore ft memory. It was the only way I could make it fit. It's the, the you have the anti Google. Thanks to both of you for returning. <laughs> yeah uh thanks thanks for both of you for returning for this episode of t hanks of course absolutely and you know while this was an interesting story i think the next one is going to be a toy story four